Hey, it's Robert Fleming and Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, two of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And you're listening to Elder Law Issues. Elizabeth, um, I know this question has come up occasionally in the recent past for you and also for me. I want to talk about capacity. Um, and capacity may be a substitute word for competence or the ability to make responsible decisions more generally. But particularly, I want to talk about the capacity required to sign a healthcare power of attorney. And, and the reason that's important is so often we get questions from people about, oh, my, my wife's in the nursing home and and I need a power of attorney or my my father just got admitted to the hospital and they tell me I need a power of attorney, but he has dementia or she has dementia. Uh, can they sign a power of attorney? I think people are sort of focused on the level of capacity required to sign a will, but not so much on powers of attorney. Are they the same level of capacity? No, Robert. And with each different type of estate planning document, your will your trust, if you have a trust, a durable financial power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, the standards of capacity for each of those are a little different. Probably the capacity, when we look at the capacity to create a financial power of attorney and the capacity to create a trust and the capacity to create a will, that's kind of in one bucket. But when we look at the capacity to create a healthcare power of attorney, it is much lower. That standard is much lower. And oftentimes people may call us and say, you know, I've got a, a loved one, could be a relative or a friend who has diminished capacity, might have advanced Alzheimer's. You know, she couldn't tell you what day of the week it is. And I think we have to move forward and do a guardianship. And I always tell people, well, are you sure that that this person wouldn't be able to create a healthcare power of attorney. And oftentimes folks rely on a diagnosis to make that determination. And that's really not what you should be doing. When you evaluate something like a standard of capacity, you evaluate capacity against a standard, you know, remember somebody's capacity may fluctuate throughout the day. Somebody may be much more alert in the morning. Somebody may struggle in the midday or the afternoon. It could be a Tuesday and they're doing great. It could be Friday morning and they're not doing well. So capacity is really a gray space and there's a real range of capacity. And to create a healthcare power of attorney, you need to just be able to make some decisions about who you want to have help with medical decisions. And you need to make sure that you're free from duress when you make a decision about who you want to have assistance from. So for instance, if you're able to identify a family member to assist with a medical decision and the family member is looming over you, clenching your hand, um, well, that's not going to work. It's not because the clenching the hand changes your capacity, Robert, but it's because in Arizona, when we consider the standards to create a healthcare power of attorney, somebody has to be free from duress to create an instrument like that. I do always think it's a little dangerous to talk about levels of capacity to compare them strictly because I, I can actually imagine somebody, I'm not sure I've ever met anybody, but I can imagine somebody who had the capacity to sign a will but not the capacity to sign a healthcare power of attorney because the really the test is whether you're able to focus on the question. And some people are very clear about what their intent is about their property, but not so clear about what their intent is about, about things like medical care. Um, but in a general way, I agree with you that uh, healthcare power of attorney is one of the lower 
capacity level requirements. And, and really, all you have to do is, as you say, understand the concept and uh, and the person who you've selected. It's critical to understand that you don't have to be able to do the thing yourself in order to be able to have the capacity to sign the power of attorney to let somebody else do it. Oh, you couldn't really process all of the choices about surgery or avoiding surgery or about the, the treatment plan and make a decision and hold to it. Well, that doesn't mean you can't designate somebody else to make those decisions for you. So it's, it is a pretty low standard. And Robert, one of the things in the statute in Arizona it mentions is the phrase of sound mind. Yeah, what a great, what a great phrase. Yeah, what, what on earth is of sound mind? <laughs> I mean, if somebody asked me on a Friday morning if I was of sound mind, I mean, it might be a different answer than by the time Friday afternoon comes around. I think that that's, that just speaks to the fact that there is some flexibility when we look at judging someone in their their capacity to create something like a healthcare power of attorney but what comes to mind to you when i say of sound mind that phrase uh, you know it to me it, it harks back to you know elizabeth that i'm really really old and i started practicing law uh, back just after the uh, the invention of the teletype uh, and uh, and of sound mind predates me predates my term in uh, in the law um, we used to say with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, non-compass mentis. What the heck does that mean? It never really was clear what it meant. Same thing with of sound mind. And it's just a, it's kind of a junk phrase that doesn't really help us. I'm sorry that the legislature perpetuated it when they adopted the, the, the health care statute. But I think that the case law and the, and the scholarship around it is pretty clear. It just means in the context of the health care power of attorney, do you understand what a healthcare decision actually is or a placement decision? Uh, and do you know who that person is that you've, you've chosen? And do you choose that person to make the decisions for you? Um, that's really all that's required. And you're really right, Elizabeth, to point out that diagnosis is not dispositive. Um, I so distinctly remember a client years ago. He and his wife came in to see me and and he told me what they wanted, as often happens. One spouse often tells me what they want. And I turned to her and said, uh, do you agree with what your husband said? And he reached in his pocket, pulled out a pill bottle, set it on the table, and nudged it toward me while I'm having a conversation with his wife. She's saying, yeah, I understood what he was saying, and I agree with him. Yes, it should be our son who makes decisions for us. And yes, we do want to leave everything equally between the two kids. And I finally pick up the pill bottle, and it's a prescription for a dementia medication. I stopped everything and asked him, why are you giving me this? Well, you know, she has a, she has a diagnosis of dementia. I don't care. She just explained what she wanted. She was very clear about it. And, uh, and when she comes in to sign, we'll confirm that that's still what she wants. And that'll be a pretty good indication. She knew what she was doing. Having a diagnosis doesn't mean you stop having the capacity to do things. And Robert, you mentioned in that example that you were talking to her directly, he wasn't, He well, he might have started the conversation. The phrase under duress is also, I think, really relevant here because somebody lording over a person, whether the person is old and young and maybe going through a difficult decision to try and encourage that person to create a healthcare power of attorney, that under duress phrase, I think, is important to recognize too. It, it confirms the fact it's, 
essential to have direct conversation with your client about what's in the document not allow somebody to speak on behalf of somebody else even if they really do need a healthcare power of attorney if somebody's being kind of forced into it or nudged or encouraged that's not helpful and the statute speaks to the fact that they can't be under duress and sort of related to under duress is the old undue influence and that imply undue influence implies that there is due influence and it's the same thing with duress to say to your 18 year old son who may have a, a, a mild developmental disability, you really ought to sign a healthcare power of attorney. I would be delighted to be your agent. That's not duress. That's not undue influence. To say, if you don't sign this power of attorney, I'm throwing you out of the house tomorrow and I'm going to start clubbing you with this baseball bat. That's duress and undue influence um, and uh, and obviously extremes. But uh, But most people get very confused about duress and undue influence, whether it allows people to, their, their family members to even suggest things. Yeah, you can suggest things. You just can't lord it over them and demand that they do it. Right, and, and one other note, Robert, is that sometimes as, as folks age, depending on what challenges they may be facing, it can be really hard to sign a document. And it's n- notable in the statutes that if you are struggling to sign your name and have enough capacity to create a healthcare power of attorney, you can actually avoid having the whole rigmarole of using every single letter in your name and your middle initial and making beautiful cursive writing um, if you're actually trying to create this document in front of a notary and witnesses and don't have to go through the process of having a signature on every page or at the end of the document. And so I also mentioned to people that you can be really in a state where you might physically be unable to sign and be able to direct your wishes through a healthcare power of attorney, which in and of itself is, I think, a pretty important and remarkable thing to point out. Here's the $20 word for the day. You can use this in your next spelling bee or, or crossword um, when, when you have the appropriate clue or letters. Amanuensis. It allows you to tell somebody else to sign your name for you. Even, and I've done this before, not often, but, uh, but notably one time some years ago, somebody who had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, was able to instruct me to sign their name on the power of attorney with only eye blinks. It was a very tedious, elaborate procedure to get it done, but, uh, but that gentleman had a valid healthcare power of attorney at the end of the cycle. And Robert, we've we've had clients who've also signed um, using a felt tip pen um, and holding it actually in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's so when we look at yeah healthcare power of attorney, it, it's a special document and something that people should have, and important for people to note that there are solutions when somebody doesn't have one, even if there is a diagnosis. Don't assume that guardianship is the only path. And sort of parting shot. Pretty low standard of, of uh, capacity to sign a, a healthcare power of attorney, even lower to revoke a healthcare power of attorney. In fact, Arizona statute says you don't have to really have any capacity at all. If uh, if you declare that you want to revoke your healthcare power of attorney, it is revoked. Um, so um, those are the two lowest levels of capacity probably in in uh, in the kind of law that we practice. 
Here's another reality that we can maybe leave with, and that is if you have signed a healthcare power of attorney, I'm sorry, let's back this up and try it another way. If you are holding a signed healthcare power of attorney for a family member, nobody in the system is likely to challenge it. Um, so it's going to help move the process forward in most cases. Is that your experience, Elizabeth? Absolutely. And I think that's the starting place. Again, we, we get calls and questions about guardianship all the time, but we often tell people, check your file. Are you sure that there's not a really old healthcare power of attorney sitting there that gives someone else authority? Because that's, even if it's 20, 25, 30, 50 years old, still an informative document if it was valid when it was created. Enough about healthcare powers of attorney. Um, you've been listening to Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman and Robert Fleming, two of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, talking about elder law issues. We will do that again next week, and we kind of hope you'll join us then.